creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk are listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. <laughs> Pizza! Today on the show, here's what I want to explore. I want to explore the question of, you know, what do you want to be the animating energy behind making creative work in your everyday practice? Like, I don't know about you, but there is a lot of anxiety and fear that can get, can worm its way into my overall everyday drive. And I think some of that has to do with this sense of the world and tech is evolving at a much higher rate than we are. I mean, ridiculously so. NFTs, do I need to learn the next 3D, the software, the AR, the VR, the YR, as in why are you Googling what the heck YR is out of a fear of being left behind? I'm talking about not FOMO, I'm saying phobia. Fear of being left behind. My question is, is Phobulb the best fuel to run your practice on? Just running around with your head cut off, being like, okay, what's the new thing I got to learn? What do I got to, you know, teach me the next thing? Like, is that really what, that's why we got into this, isn't it? Just <laughs> the fear of being left behind. That's, that's why we picked up that pencil or that guitar or whatever. Like, that's not what you want to create from. It's not what I want to create from, but is there any other way? because you do gotta be a lifelong learner as much as that idea might make you a little sick in your stomach. Lifelong learner just makes me feel ill. But in this episode, I wanna tell you how I've come to learn about that in a way that doesn't make me feel ill, but actually makes me feel inspired and excited to learn. What a dork, but I promise you it's cool. Seriously, stick around, it's cool. Let's talk about a different force that can get you up and running. Let's go. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase.
This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. How does one, how does one stay motivated and continue to grow at a pace where you don't get left in the dust without letting fear and anxiety, you know, pulse through your practice? Like, where do you find other fuel tanks? How do you continue to learn in a way where you're not just forcing yourself to do it out of phobulb. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to say that again. Um, how do you do it? I think the first thing that you got to do is you got to learn with the Gump method, not the McAllister way. Now, these are both highly analytical, scholarly methods for learning that we're going to dive into. But in order to do that, first, I just have to say, have you heard anybody ever say like, in order to reach your creative potential and stay relevant continually, you got to become a lifelong learner, man. You need to be a lifelong learner. I hate that. Mainly because, yes, it is true, but it also just kind of hurts when you say it like that. implies that the reason for learning is primarily so that you don't get left behind. And I just find that to be the least inspiring take on why you could want to continue to grow. You know, it feels like saying, you know, you better keep learning so you don't get left behind. It's like the same thing as being like, you better keep running, you better keep training on that treadmill so that you never miss a plane. Can you imagine like how hard it would be to get up and train every morning on the treadmill for hours just so that you never miss a plane ever again. I think a lot of artists are miserable because at some level they're running their creative practice in a way just so that they don't miss something that's about to take off. And as a result, not only are they in a state of constant panic, but do you really think that anyone wants to follow you when your creative input resembles that mad panic of the McAllisters from Home Alone running through the airport? Okay. Oh, man, we're going to lose it. Like, that's the kind of energy you can barely watch, let alone feel compelled to follow. You've never watched someone running through the airport and you're like, I'm coming. This is fun. No, it's anxiety 
fueled. And that kind of energy is so easy to detect. We all can see when artists are just trying, oh, I got to get on the next trend. I got to get the next software. I got to get on the next. Like we can see this. We can feel it. We don't want anything to do with it. When your creative work is just a result of trying to keep up, it is the least compelling thing on the planet. You know, but looking back, I can see like I definitely have always been a dorky, lifelong learner. And my creative practice, like it has been made by that practice of continually growing. And that drive to learn when it's worked out has come from a totally different place than phobob. It's come from a totally different place than trying to catch the next trend before it takes off. No, I feel like that kind of running towards learning a new skill is more like Forrest Gump. You know, uh, have you seen Forrest Gump? It's mostly about running. This guy is running all throughout the whole movie in different scenarios. And at some point, Forrest is, starts running and he just keeps running until he runs like across the country. And people are like, why are you doing this? Is it for world peace? Why? Like they're like, everybody is following him, wanting to know, why are you doing this? Why are you running? And if I look back and I ask myself at every stage when I learned a new skill, why are you doing this? I would have the exact same answer that Forrest Gump has, which is that he just felt like it. I just felt like running. And I think we give so much, I give so much play. When I give so much play to that panicky voice that says I'm going to miss out, it gets so loud that it actually drowns out that inner impulse to learn, that inner gump that just wants to run, that just wants to learn, that's just curious. And so when I, I've tried to train myself, when I hear that, that voice in my head that says, you're going to be left behind, I try to turn that thing down. I try to be like, no, I'm not going to jump on this just for that reason. Look, it's within reason. There are times when it's like, you feel a little impulse, like, mm, I better check that thing out. I'm not, I'm not being ridiculous here. I'm just saying that that being the animating force of why you're learning is just fuel that will only get you so far. And it's not a compelling life force through pulsing through your work. I think we all have that inner forest Who's, who for some reason, you know, was like, I decided to go for a little run. So I ran to the end of the road. And when I got there, I thought maybe I'll run to the end of the town. And when I got there, I thought maybe I'll just run across Greenbow County. That voice will guide you if you listen. You know, for me, it was like, maybe I need to learn a little bit more about anatomy. And when I got there, I was like, maybe I need to learn some lettering. And when I got there, I thought maybe I should learn some podcasting. You know, I'm simplifying it, but all those touch points, they were these inner impulses to learn something new. And I think if you'll quiet down that voice that's screaming, Peter! We slept in! We gotta run! We gotta get to the, we gotta get to the airport. If you'll quiet that voice down, I think you will be able to hear that other voice. It's just a little tiny whisper and it's saying, 
Run, artist. Run. Run to the next thing. Learn a new thing. Find something else that you're curious in. Like, you know this world too well, and it's getting boring. It's time to freshen it up and accept a new challenge. why we're talking about learning new skills not only is it just a huge part of the creative journey but we're also starting a new series today which is called the creative zero to hero series and it's just this idea of you know we we talk a lot about on the show about the hero's journey and i think there's a lot of really huge great takeaways especially on a personal level of getting to know the hero's journey and we've talked to the ends of the earth about that concept but recently i've been thinking more about like well what is the creative journey you know because it's not the same thing there's a bunch of cool parallels and there's a lot of things you can take from the hero's journey but what is the actual creative journey and i've been exploring that question and i've come up with some ideas and this is what we're going to explore and it's from creative zero meaning you haven't even touched the guitar yet you know, you don't know any chords, you know, you don't, you've never drawn a picture, you know, whatever it is, you haven't even picked up the instrument. That's zero to a creative hero where you are reaching your potential and you are connecting with an audience and you're saying something with your work in a powerful, profound way. Like, how do you get from that to that? You know, part of this is coming from, you know, today on the show, we're going to talk about the first part, number one, which is getting some skill. We talk a lot about on the show about taste. Like, I actually don't think, I don't think the 10,000 hour rule directly applies to creative work. I think there are a lot of people that have made super incredible stuff at age like 18 when they couldn't possibly have been playing guitar for 10,000 hours. You know, like, I just think that there's a lot more to it than skill, but you got to have some skill. And today on the show, we're just going to talk about whether you're at zero and you've never picked up a guitar, which is probably almost none of you. Um, but well, <laughs> maybe a lot of you haven't picked up a guitar, but whatever your instrument of choice is, whatever your medium is, you've probably used that before. But so today, yeah, you, this will apply to you, but to the people that have never done anything in the creative world and also apply to wherever you are, because every single stage requires new growth, not just to stay relevant, but to stay interested, which is the, a bigger key. And it's more, that's the gump way. How do you keep that inner impulse to keep going fresh and hot without drowning it in fear? And so we're going to talk about ways to level up your skill game in a way that is not about staying relevant, but how to stay compelled and engaged in your practice. And so that's what this episode is about and practices to do that. And maybe that's just what you need to switch it up and to level up where you're at right now. Cause I think this journey is also kind of cyclical. Anyway, we're going to be going over, we're going to be going through this process of the creative zero to hero. And these are the steps we're going to, number one is going to be skill. Number two, story. Number three, style. Number four, setting. Number five, psychology. Yes, it breaks the pattern, but that's what we're going to be talking on that, ep talking about on that episode. And number six, say something. 
We're going to go through all these pieces and look at some interesting ways to dig into them and see which component you need to be focusing on now. And so today we're going to talk about skill. We're going to talk about let's engage in our practice and be lifelong learners, be super mega learning dorks, not because we have to, but because if we'll quiet down that fear, we'll see that we actually want to. That it is the zest of life, is staying challenged. Um, That's a key to staying in the flow state. All right, first thing you got to do is learn by the Gump method. Find that inner impulse and cultivate it and and let it it grow within you and quiet down that inner McAllister that says, you missed the, you're going to miss a plane. Like, let's not run from that energy. All right, let's go on to number two. Number two is you got to find your Kevin Costner skill. You know, I guess it's 90s movies, (laughs) 90s movies references today. Bodyguard, Whitney Houston. She sings, I want to run to you about Kevin Costner, her bodyguard. What is the skill that you want to run to like Whitney Houston wants to run to Kevin Costner? What is that skill that you just have that inner impulse? You got to run to it, man. How do you find that one? And it really is important, I think, to get hyper specific in your focus on that. And the reason is, is, you know, when we've talked recently about this idea of deliberate practice, uh, it's something that Malcolm Gladwell talks about, you know, when he says, this idea that in order to be a master, you've got to have 10,000 hours of practice. One of the things that he always brings up is it's not any practice. It's got to be the right kind of practice. I recently heard a little clip of Quest Love saying like, you know, his dad would be like, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Well, what is perfect practice? Perfect practice and is what's called deliberate practice. And the two main components are Focus and feedback. There are other pieces, but those are the ones that we're going to focus on right now. Focus and feedback. And so before you say, like, I want to I want to run and learn something, man, you got to say, what are you trying to learn so that you can hyper focus on that particular skill? Because when you focus in on it, you can actually measure your success. You can actually not get distracted and not, you know, learn that skill over uh, 50 years. Hopefully you can do it with deliberate intention and actually achieve it. And so in order to focus, we got to figure out what is the next skill that you want to focus on? How do you actually determine that? Because I'm sure any part of your practice, there's a million different softwares or social media apps or instruments or tools. Like there are so, there are so many different things you could spend time learning right now. Which one are you going to do next? Which one are you going to focus on if that's the key? So how do you do this? In my search and my research for deliberate practice. I came across this article, great article by James Clear. I'll link to it in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes slash 351, I guess it is. And uh, in that article, he goes into this super interesting process that Ben Franklin would use 
to improve his writing because when he was a teenager, I guess his dad was like, you suck at writing. And he was like, okay, dad. And that was his fuel. Um, that's a really powerful fuel. In today's episode, I want to talk about how you can fuel your creative practice with the shame and pain of your unloving father. <laughs> I don't have that. I've got a loving father, so so I'm good. But um, that's why I'll never be as great as Ben Franklin. Anyway, Ben Franklin, how he got good at writing. His practice was this thing where he would take articles from a paper that he thought were really good. And he would like in just basic kind of note taking shorthand, just sentence by sentence, kind of just in one or two words, note what the basic idea was in bullet points of all these different sections and parts of this article. And then he would set that aside. And then a couple of days later, he'd come back to just his notes and he'd try to rewrite the article from scratch using his own words to communicate those big ideas. And after that, he would compare his article to the previous article. And so I heard that and I thought, I want to simplify this a little bit for our purposes. And we'll call it the BFDR practice for finding your focus. Ben Franklin's deconstruction, reconstruction practice for finding your focus. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take a look at a few of your favorite pieces of work, be it a song, a movie, uh, a TV episode, whatever it is, whatever your medium is, and then go in there and really just as you're consuming it, just take little notes about what they're doing. You know, if you're looking at an image, it might be, okay, there's a, there's a figure in the center. There's this kind of lettering. There's that kind of color use. There's, you know, they're in a meadow. They're, you know, whatever. Just note down, like, what are all the pieces? What are all the skills that are coming together? That's the real part to focus on. What are the skills that are coming together to create this? If you're listening to a song, maybe it's like, okay, vocal range, there's like a big falsetto and there's also a deep side. There's, there's this finger plucking, finger picking method in this and there's this recording set up and there's these double vocal takes or, you know, whatever it is, like deconstruct every single skill that was required to make that thing and then just go through it and say, which of these skills do I not have? You know, for visual, it might be anatomy, light, color, concept. For comedy, maybe it's wordplay, stage presence, tags for jokes, or general shtick. Maybe they just really come across like themselves, like they've really found themselves in it. If it's music, maybe it's a vocal uh, singing practice, you know, training. Maybe it's a technical Maybe it's they're using Ableton live or maybe it's a different instrument or a different way of playing an instrument or maybe it's some kind of just in the lyrics of the hook. How did they create something really catchy? What are all the different skills? Just deconstruct it and then just go through and be like, which one of these am I really missing? And then face that thing dead on and we're going to talk about how we can create something to spend a lot of intentional time having fun trying to get better at that particular skill. Okay, so you got your Kevin Costner skill. You know what you want to focus on. The third thing you got to do after you got that is you got to bake in 
chunky chocolate chip projects. You got to bake chunky chocolate chips into your projects. Um, you did all this running. It's time to reward yourself. It's get yourself a cookie. That reminds me of when I was uh, in middle school and, you know, I'd be sat there drawing Super Saiyan Goku from Dragon Ball Z and like getting all the shading just right. And I'd be, you know, I'd take the color pencils. I was like, man, how do I, I didn't have any like art resources really. And I'm like, how are they making those colors so flat and even in cartoons? I didn't have any reference. And I was just, uh, I thought if I like color with colored pencils super hard and really even, it'll be completely flat. And so I'm like going to town and I'm like, you know, probably shaking my desk and someone looks over and she's like, wow, good picture. Want a cookie? And I just always hated when people said that. So I don't even know where does it come from? What does it mean? Like, you know, you, th you need a little reward. Is that why you're trying so hard? Shaking the desk? No, I'm not drawing Dragon Ball Z characters to get your attention. Okay. That's, I didn't think like, this is how I'm going to get the girls. No, I was doing it from an inner impulse. My inner gump was running to create my own Super Saiyans uh, back in the day because I just because I wanted to. Anyway, I almost just called her out and name dropped her for the pain. Anyway, um, <laughs> what was I talking about? It's not that kind of want a cookie. This is a different thing completely. What I'm talking about is you got to bake that focus, that learning into a project. For first off, you know, personal projects for me are, I really feel like they're the secret to happiness. You know, there's a lot of anti-hustle culture and I get, I totally get that. Nobody likes self-care more than Andy J. Pizza. You know, if you're ADHD, man, you, you are very obsessed with doing what you feel like doing, what you want to do. And what I want to do most days is take a nice warm bath and I do. I would, you know, when I had a, a regular job back in the day, I would get up several hours early, even if it meant getting up at 4 a.m. to make sure I had a nice bath because I loved it so much. And so I'm not talking about hustle culture, but I am talking about how, you know, Ben Franklin, I read like his secret sauce was his obsession. Like he would do these little exercises before work after work, before bed, like he would do it wherever he could find it. Why? Because he was Forrest Gump, man. He had the inner Forrest Gump and, and that was compelling him. And, and, you know, for me, personal projects, it's not just about like, uh, you know, getting ahead, staying relevant. It's about happiness. It's a lifestyle. You know, my entire adult life have been doing personal projects. And in college, I did uh, a zine with friends called Pump. Uh, we did another zine called Wizard's Hat. I had a rap project called Ponsonopal Clones. I did the Nod Project. And call, uh, there was another one called Novel View and Color Me and Indie Rock Coloring Book and 52 Stories and Art Night and Art Directions, Big Questions, Little Drawings, blah, 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 all these ways, all the way to the podcast that you're listening to right now always been a huge part of my life, even when I was really busy, because for me, personal projects are the secret to staying in the flow state. You know, me high chick sent me high, the psychologist who wrote the book flow talks about how he really believes that the secret to happiness is the flow state. Like the flow state is the thing 
that keeps us happy in the long term. And what the flow state is essentially is that little sweet spot between challenge and mastery. And that's what that's, I actually believe that's your inner gump that's saying run artist run. It is the thing in you that says you have to stay challenged. You know, once you have mastered that instrument or mastered that way of drawing or, or whatever it is, there's going to be a part of you that's going to get an itch. And usually, you know, the things you get paid for are things that you are so masterful for with that you're no longer challenged by it. And that's actually okay. I don't think, I don't think we need to spend all of our workday in the flow state. I think that sounds pretty exhausting, but I think we need a daily dose of it. You know, my buddy illustrator, Will Bryant would say, I make stuff because if I don't, I get sad. That's a lettering poster that he made way back in the day. And I think that that's what the personal projects are about. They're about pushing to the next level from that inner impulse that says we need a new challenge. And so for me, personal projects are the secret to happiness, the secret to, and I think you can even, for me, like there are lots of times when I only get that flow state for half an hour or an hour in the morning, but it's enough to fuel the rest of the day. That's even as a full-time artist. Now, I would say most days I spend a lot longer in that space and I'm really grateful to be in that spot. And I do think it's the goal to get a couple of hours in every day. Um, it, I think that's what we're trying to push to is, is to get into that space. Um, but not only are projects a uh, the secret to happiness, I think that they're the secret to lifelong learning. You know, there's this thing called project-based learning. And I'd never heard of it until I went to college. And I started wondering, like, why is, I, I went to college for illustration, graphic design, and I went from being this student that was never on time with any of the deadlines and always having to like, can I talk to you after class? And like pleading my case with, you know, I didn't even know I had ADHD back in high school, but I was just like, I don't know, man, I can't, I'm a mess. Look at this binder. It looks like, it looks like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, it's just, it looks old because it's got coffee all over it from trying to stay focused and whatever. Anyway. Anyway, you get it. And I, you know, and then I went to college and I was like at the top of the class and it was because I am a project-based learner. You know, I need my learning to feel like it matters in real life, like there's a purpose and like it is a, is half at least living real life. And that's what project-based learning is all about. It's like, this is, you're going to learn at the same time as you're going to actually do something. And so for me, I've made all these projects my whole career because I wanted to learn something new and something I could focus on and push into a new area. But I also wanted to prove myself at the same time and market my work and, and create new portfolio pieces. And I, for me, it's kind of like this idea of like, I would never, ever, ever learn the guitar by just learning chords by just learning uh, the notes and, and all of the music theory and all that. Like we got to skip straight to learning a song that I actually like. Don't give me any of that uh, when the saints go marching in. I ain't going to learn that recorder piece. And in fact, I'm going to fake sick on every single day of music class in fourth grade and warm up chicken tenders in the microwave and watch Blue's Clues. Stupendous. <laughs> 
Yes, I was in fourth grade and I didn't want to watch Blue's Clues, but you deal with what you're working with, okay? It's daytime TV. And I did, that's a true story. That's what I did because I didn't want to learn when the saints go marching in, okay? But when I started to learn guitar in college, I actually learned a couple songs. I didn't end up sticking at it, but I learned songs that I loved. And that real life project-based learning kept that inner impulse going. And so here's what I, you know, for me, when I did the Nod project, I had that BFDR, the Ben Franklin deconstruction reconstruction thing happened where I went out and I looked at all of my favorite illustrators at the time that were really lighting me up. And I looked at all the things they were doing and I could see, okay, I can do that, 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 and that. But all of these people, in order to get these vast, super dense drawings, um, they were doing it with digital drawing. They were doing it with, uh, at the time, a Wacom tablet and, and drawing digitally. And I couldn't do that. I'd never done that. And I didn't have a tablet and I'd never even tried that. And so I used my daily drawing project. If you look at the nod project somewhere in the middle, I switch over a hard stop from drawing analog and scanning it in to drawing it digitally. And it was a little bit rough, but that transition was completed by the end of that year. And then I'd spent the past, you know, 10 years drawing digitally after that project. And now it's a big part of my process, even when I mix both of them. And I look back even to my rap project, Ponstanople Clones, uh, and it was in, a, in some ways a complete waste. You know, I did create two songs that I really liked, one of which is lost to the sands of time, cannot find it, my ultimate favorite. I promise it's really good. I sound like the guy who's got a girlfriend at another school that I swear is real, but I really love that song. And the thing about that project is it taught me audio software that enabled me to start this podcast. And it was a way of learning from that same impulse. And so here's what I suggest you do. I suggest you take on a project with a specific thing that you want to learn in mind so that you can actually focus or figure out how to bake in that, that Kevin Costner skill into a project you're already doing. You know, for me, about three or four years ago, I really wanted to learn painting with gouache and, and really you leaning much heavier back on analog skills and just touch things up digitally. And so I made a hard stop in the episode art of this podcast and just started making stuff with analog uh, practices. And I did that for a couple of years and now I'm back to uh, more of a hybrid of those things. But I just baked that chunk of learning, the chunky chocolate chip into a project. And, you know, that kind of focus and concentration that you need to show up with on a regular basis, I think it's one of the only ways to get us artists engaged. You know, in that James Clear article that I mentioned earlier, there's this bit that, that I'll just read it. It says, many great musicians recommend repeating the most challenging sections of a song until you master them. That's hyper-focus. That's not even learning a song. It's just the challenging part of the song and really focusing in. Virtuoso violinist Nathan Milstein says, practice as much as you feel you can accomplish with concentration. Once when I became concerned because others around me practice all day long, I asked my professor, how many hours should I practice? And he said, it really doesn't matter how long if you practice with your fingers 
no amount is enough. If you practice with your head, two hours is plenty. And it reminded me of, you know, I've become friendly acquaintances with artist Zach Gorman, artist and author who worked on uh, Over the Garden Wall and a bunch of other really cool projects. And I heard him on a podcast say that his friend Sam Bosma, who's an incredible illustrator, were talking about how for the longest time their work didn't improve until they realized like, you can actually make leaps and bounds of improvement in your drawing if you actually think while you're drawing. And, you know, it's not necessarily the best way to get straight into the flow state, but like really thinking about where you're moving your lines on the page, I've noticed that level of concentration, that level of practicing, not just with your fingers, but with your head, you can accomplish so much growth in just a little bit of time. And that's why, you know, in half a year, I could switch my creative practice from analog to digital is because I was actively concentrating on what I was doing as I was doing it. And I think the best way to do that is with a project with a habit. You know, back in the uh, last summer, we did a whole series on overthinking. And really, it was a series about habits. And we've been talking about James Clear a lot in this episode because, he, you know, he's the habit guru. He wrote the book Atomic Habits. And honestly, I just keep coming back to the fact that the most essential skill that I have learned in my practice isn't anatomy or color or audio recording or any of that stuff. None of that stuff. The most essential skill is the projects themselves because the projects themselves always had a time component and every single project was in fact a habit. And I think making creativity a habit is the most essential thing that you can do in your creative practice. It is the most essential skill. You know, when I have drawn for a couple hours a day, three days in a row, I'm astonished by how much better I draw on that third day. It actually makes me feel like I had forgotten how to draw. That's how much the habit matters. And the same goes for writing. You know, when I'm writing this podcast or working on noodling on picture book ideas or write, you know, all the different writing that I do, I notice myself as I'm like writing, I'm always like looking for patterns, looking for analogies, looking for stupid little jokes. Like I'm always trying to find these things as I'm going, as I'm playing with words. And I can feel myself in my every day after the writing, doing the same thing, coming up with a quicker, dumb dad joke for my kids. You know, I, I can feel my brain is actually primed to do those things. And I think sometimes for me in my creative practice, when I've made something that has some real special magic quality to it that I'm really pumped about, I actually feel the pressure like I can't possibly do that again. And therefore, I create a massive amount of space between that and the next thing that I make. And what I've found is you can actually work that muscle into a place where you're able to show up and make that creative magic over and over. And I think that the only way to do that is if you learn the skill of becoming a project-based learner, of learning the skill of how to build new creative habits.
you know, if I talk to somebody that is really struggling in their creative practice and they aren't happy with where they are and they feel like they have all this latent potential and they don't have some sort of regular, at least weekly creative practice and habit, it's honestly kind of uh, a non-starter of a conversation. And, you know, it took me years and years and years to get into a place where I could have that kind of discipline. And it even turned into, you know, I had to learn like not to ignore self-care. As I said before, I'm a self-care obsessed person, but I had to learn to quiet the the whims of, I don't feel like making a podcast this week. Well, shut up and get in there. I'm <laughs> <laughs> and okay, look, I'm not telling you to ignore yourself, but I am saying that there is a level of discipline and habits that is essential to unlocking your creative potential. And as we kick off this new series of Creative Zero to Hero, and we're talking about the first thing you got to do is learn a skill. I hope that you take seriously that skill of a disciplined approach to your practice and start making a creative habit from becoming a lifelong project-based learner. Okie dokie. Now it's time of the show where we call it a call to adventure your call to action, your call to arms in your creative journey. It's time for a quick win, something you can do right now at the end of this episode. This CTA for today is phone a friend. And the idea here is going back to this notion of deliberate practice. It's about focus and feedback. You can't just focus your way to or, you know, learning an, a good skill, you've got to have somebody who has learned that skill and has an expert opinion on it, be able to chime in. And I actually think that, uh, you know, in higher education, I wish that in the creative world, they played up more like time with practitioners rather than how many software packages we're going to force your kid to learn <laughs> because they don't understand the gump method. And actually, you know, feedback Time around those people with just little bits of feedback, so essential, but you don't have to go to college to get that. I actually think there are some good ways to get some of that information you need. You know, I was in the research, I came across this book, Ultra Learning, and I read some articles by that author, Scott H. Young, and he talks about how there's a good article about how if you want to become a writer, don't start writing, and the reason is, is his buddy Cal Newport was like, who's, who's a scholar in his own right and a best-selling author, is like, you know, what would you say to someone who wanted to start, to, to, wanted to publish a book in the nonfiction world? And he, and Cal Newport would say, don't start writing at all. Start creating a proposal. You don't want to write the whole book and then start sending out proposals and nobody wants it. Like really focus on the proposal first. And it's that kind of expert insight that you can only get from somebody who actually has been there. 
Now, you're probably thinking like, how am I supposed to get expert insight? You know, one of the things that um, I hear from time to time is creators getting annoyed by students asking them questions. First of all, I'll be the first to say, I fully believe that nobody owes you an email response. No one owes you a response to your direct message. I think that this digital entitlement that we have these days is sickening because it just, it, it has this entitlement to other people's time and energy just because you sent them a message, they are obligated to reply. I just completely disagree with that because I think it actually goes against practices of deep work and, and self-care and all the other things that I really, really believe in. But I don't think at the same time, I don't think that should stop you from asking, especially if you're asking people that are just a couple steps ahead of you that might actually be able to learn something from you. You know, there's a bunch of people who, you know, there are mentors that love mentees that help them stay relevant and help them get a, a fresh take on the practice. If there's a mutuality here, then it can be really beneficial. And so, yeah, don't email the your creative hero that's been doing this for 20 years. Ask someone who learned that skill just a couple years ago. And, you know, how you ask is as important as who you're asking. There's an article on Harvard Business Review, and it's all about how you get feedback, good feedback. And they reference a book by this author, Sheila Sheen. She co-wrote the book, Thanks for Feedback. And she says, you know, when you're asking for feedback, never say, hey, could I get some feedback on my portfolio? Because it wastes their time. Now they got to think of, they got to go check your portfolio out and you got to be like, okay, what do I say? And well, should I, you know, what, all that stuff. The most important thing in this call to action is that you ask what is one thing I could work on? Just take a quick look at the work, take a quick listen to the song. You know, what is one thing? You know, for me, I think that one of the elements of taste that's really essential for creators reaching their potential and getting at the next level is just knowing the difference between something that feels pro and something that feels amateur. I, in the world of music, in the world of art, in the world of film, there's, there's just this obvious for someone with a highly refined palate, they can instantly spot the, 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 the huge difference that screams amateur. And that question of like, what's the one thing that as you're encountering with this body of work that you're just like that right there, change that, that will get you one step closer to where you want to be. In my own practice, this has been true. Uh, back in the day, I asked an artist that I loved and still loved. His name's Mario Hugo. And I asked him this question because I had heard this practice. And I said, like, take a look at this. If you, if you have any time, just tell me one, one thing I need to work on. And he said, look, I love all your characters, but you don't have any backgrounds. You don't have any worlds. I don't know what this world is. And so I created a different project exploring how do I actually create the space for these, these characters to live in. And if you can't get in, you know, send out 10 emails to people that are just ahead of you. And if no one replies, start asking your friends who are a little bit better at this thing than you are. And just ask them that same question. What is the one thing I need to work on? And keep asking that question until you hear that inner voice telling you to run at 
obtaining that skill. the gump method find your kevin costner skill bake it into a project and then phone a friend that is the episode on skill next episode in the series we're gonna talk about story and why it comes before style and a whole bunch of other things hope that you found that inner impulse today thank you to yoni wolf and the band y for our jingle for all of our soundtrack you can actually listen to those songs with the vocals and also some swear words be aware adult topics there at creativepeptalk.com music go check it out so you can jam the rest of the day they're one of my all-time favorite bands way before i'd ever had knew them or had the had licensed any music for the show massive massive thank you to them Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so beautifully. Massive thanks to Ryan Appleton and Sophie Miller, a.k.a. Mrs. Pizza, for content assistance. Thanks to illustrator Katie Chandler, who is going to be helping and assisting on all things Creative Pep Talk. They are a great illustrator in their own right. Go check out Katie at Katie Chandler on Instagram. Uh, we are part of the Coloop Podcast Network. It's a podcast network that I co-founded with a bunch of podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. You can check them out at co-podcast.co. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.